I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, super producer Brandon Newman, and coming to you live from his childhood basement in Cleveland, Ohio, my father, Mike Golick Sr. <laughs> Dad, uh, how's it like reliving the glory days? Boy, I tell you what, you know, I, I set this up here downstairs. I'm in town for a few days uh, to, to hang out with my mom. And I set it up down here where we had posters on the walls. I remember we got these for my parents. Uh, when we were younger and right before the show started, I was just moving some things down here and I found my high school ID. I mean, so now it has made me want to go through all the different. Now I know in the attic, there's a bunch of stuff, but go through a lot of the stuff and see what else I can find. So I'm here for today through Wednesday. So I'll see what artifacts, uh, and, and they truly are artifacts since I am 60 years old. Um, Wait, that Dad, I can put that find. Up really close to the camera. Put that, uh, put that up as close to the camera as you can get. Up more. There you go. Yeah, it, it, it confirmed my suspicion is that your St. Joe's high school ID and my mugshot from college have the exact same hairstyle. Yeah, that's true. Back when you had hair, the, the big difference is I kept mine. Sorry. Yeah, no, you did a much better job of that. Yeah. So uh, thank you for reminding me of that. We'll uh, we'll have to treat this, this like is... on the Levitard show, um, Greg Cody's garage. Brandon, I, since I hear your giggle, in, on the Levitard show, since they do Greg Cody and they used to have him go and basically find old things in his garage and do show and tell with them on the show, I feel like, Dad, we're going to have to have you do show and tell every day while you're out in Cleveland this week of finding the best <clears throat> artifact that you can from the basement. Well, I'll, I I put the one posters behind me here where we have um, Jerry West and Larry Zonka and I think Ted Williams. And then I'm actually in one of these. We took some pictures, our football pictures, and we blew them up poster size and put them on the wall. So I'm facing other ones of my brother Bob, my brother Greg that we blew up. So maybe I'll, I'll flip 
my little makeshift studio down here to show those uh, one of the other days as well. But, you know, my parents, they still have all like a lot of our memorabilia down here hanging up on the walls and such. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will definitely show you a couple of artifacts each day. I, I just I was reminded in high school this year I was in homeroom 4B. Uh, I don't remember it at all. And boy, my signature still looks awful. Even back then, when I had to sign up Michael Golick, it looks awful. But, boy, oh boy, 18 years old as opposed to 60. And this is the first time I've seen it. I literally was just moving stuff right before the show started. And there it was, still in pristine condition. Maybe I'll put it up on eBay, get about 50, 60 cents for it. There we go. We can only hope. So if you're someone looking for random high school Mike Golick senior memorabilia, boy, oh boy, have we got the show for you. And we got a great one for you today in general. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. And especially for today, check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel so that this isn't just really bad audio bits for you and you can actually see the payoff. Um, we got plenty of stuff to get to uh from the nba we've got weekend roses uh coming out but we might as well start i never thought that the phoenix suns and the denver nuggets would be this giving of actual content that people would care about that series that's full of really good basketball and we should not brush over that too much is instead going to be pulled into all of our laps this morning because Nikola Jokic was pulled into the lap of the phoenix suns owner during the suns win last night to even that series at 2-2 And now we've got to ask the same question that we were asking with Draymond Green a series ago is, do we think Nikola Jokic is going to face a suspension coming up in Game 5 for this altercation? So if anyone missed it, basically what we had go on in the middle midst of this game is a Kogi from the uh, Denver Nuggets or from the Phoenix Suns dove into the crowd to try and get the ball. In that time, Matt Ishbia, who is the former Michigan State basketball player who's now the new owner of the Phoenix Suns, was the one who had the ball wind up in his arms. Jokic went over to try and go and defuse the situation and get the basketball back, and Ishbia held on to it for a little bit too long. Jokic finally wrestled it away and gave him a look, and then gave him a little elbow shot to which Ishbia, Tom Izzo, somewhere smiling with great yeah. joy, yes. watching the flop that he put on display. I know the NBA finds players <laughs> for flops. I wonder if Adam Silver will have the courage to find an owner for what was a clear and obvious flop. And then Jokic got served a tech. So, Dad, do you think there's any possibility that now the league in between games actually looks at this as an interaction between a fan and a player and somehow finds reason to suspend Jokic? Yeah, so wild that yeah, it started out as a fan, and Ishbia has owned the the Suns for like a hot second. I mean, you know, it hasn't been long, uh, so he's not even sitting up. You know, these owners like to sit down, like you see Cuban on the side. This was in like the corner, like where you would hit a deep three. And you're right, Jokic just tried to wrestle the ball from him, and the ball ended up going flying in the air. Jokic never even got it, and then he kind of caught. Caught, as you said, Ishbia with the elbow. He got the tee. I think, Mike, I think, and this is totally Adam Silver's discretion. This is going to fall right in his lap. Uh, I saw Brian Windhorst talking about it, and he said this is where it's going to go. So this is on Silver. I do not think that he is going to get suspended. I think he'll get fined, but I do not think he will get suspended. We should note there was another fan after after Jokic did that to Ishbia, and, and Ishbia you're right, the cell job. He threw his hands in the air, fell back into his seat. It was hilarious. There was a fan that reached and kind of grabbed, or just a little bit, put his hands on Jokic. He got thrown out. He got. They showed him. He got escorted out. He was gone. You can't put your hands on a player, and players can't put their hands on a fan. Uh, I do not think he will get suspended. I do think he will get fined, but that's a situation you got to be careful. Now, it's not exactly the same Certainly, but you don't want anything to resemble Mike or Brandon. If you remember, it was right before you guys went to high school, the malice at the palace. This was in Detroit in 2004 between the Pacers and the Pistons. And I think it was Ben Wallace put a layup up and Ron Artest fouled them hard. They went at each other. They were separated. The rest were trying to figure out what was going on. And Artest was laying on the scorer's table waiting and somebody hoisted a drink at him. And Artest went into the fans, next thing into the stands. Next thing you know, fans are involved. And you got players right by 
fans, and you never want anything to escalate. That's why fans can't put their hands on players, and players can't put their hands on fans, because you never want it escalating to that situation. And it didn't. It never got close to it, but that's the first thing I thought of, is you get one kind of crazy fan, or a, Jokic is not a crazy player, but back in the like that Dennis Rodman or, or the man involved, Ron Artest, who are a little bit, you know, out there, you know, they'll go off a little bit. Now, this one got nowhere near that, but that's what you fear because the fans are so close. So the one fan put his hands on Jokic, got tossed, and, and Jokic got a T for elbowing a fan who happened to be the, the owner. I think he'll get fined. I do not think he'll get suspended because, by the way, we now have a really good series tied at 2-2. So, I, I, in all honesty, I, they, they say you shouldn't. They say if this is something suspendable, you should do it. I hope he doesn't, and I don't think he will. I do think it'll be a fine and it'll be a play on. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with you. This is the same reaction I had to the Draymond stomp on Sabonis during that series, which is I hope it doesn't happen because I don't want any excuses. And that series, right. Golden State, we know, ended up winning. They ended up overcoming that in Game 3. But that was the fear. And in that game, Draymond had been issued the flagrant two. He had already gotten kicked out of that game. And in this one, Jokic got a tech. And he got a tech, as the official explained to him, right. for elbowing a fan. Now, the NBA rule is any coach, player, or trainer who deliberately enters the spectator stands during the game will be automatically ejected. And the incident reported by email to basketball operations, the first row of seats is considered the beginning of the stand. So, we're going to argue about the word deliberately. I think that's going to do a lot of the legwork here. And, Dan, I think right, the fact right. that it is an owner and not a fan is also kind of of note here because it can either be the gray area for the NBA saying, well, it's not a fan, and so we might be able to do a little bit of work on both sides away from the basketball court and make this go away because by the – spirit of the rule with what you talked about with that in, in mind with malice and the palace in mind it's really hard to look at this and not see this as something punishable if you were going to go by the letter of the law just because he did elbow a fan like if that had just been some average jimmy or joe this is a different situation than an owner who kind of knows the drill i'm sure doesn't want to see this become the focal point of the series even if it would overwhelmingly benefit his team now in the phoenix suns that being said don't want it to happen don't feel like it should because again you had an owner basically instigating a lot of this and it's a different dynamic than Draymond Green and Demonis Sabonis where Sabonis pulls the leg and then Draymond responds right. but it's player on player when you got owner on player all of a sudden the tenor on this starts to change a whole lot because that's not someone who should be influencing anything that's happening on the basketball court with the way he's acting and I think that in particular the fact that he's an intruder here Draymond and Sabonis were equals on the court this guy's an intruder in this situation that instigates in a way that I think mitigates this differently than what happened with Draymond and Sabonis. So here's the thing. Do you think if that was actually just a fan, because they obviously knew it was the owner, I don't know if right initially they did, but I'm sure it was it was told to them if they didn't initially know that, that if it was a regular fan and he held on to the ball like he did and Jokic tried to rip it away, do we think that fan would have been ejected? Now, the owner wasn't going to get ejected. I mean, you, you know that old old saying, you know, the owner, you know, he can take his ball and go home. Well, that's exactly what he was doing. He took his ball, and he had it, <laughs> and he was hanging on to it. If that was a regular fan, like the one that got tossed and put his hand on Jokic, I wonder if that fan would have been tossed for hanging on to the ball and kind of getting into the little ball tussle with Jokic. Yeah, I think there's a pretty good likelihood because, like you said, there was someone else in that group that was escorted out. And it's the old Chris yep. Carter have a fall guy idea where I think that was the <laughs> fall guy for the entire situation. <laughs> hey, we need somebody to go. And they said he was uh, escorted out to de-escalate the situation. They basically looked yeah. and said, you're the least important of everyone that was just involved yeah. <laughs> in this little tussle. So we're going to go ahead and have you watch this game from a box somewhere else or outside of the arena. So they made that concession there uh coming up next let's take a look at everything else that actually happened on the court throughout the association with some great basketball played this weekend i want to talk about jaegermeister dad what do you know about jaegermeister i mean well really all i know it's got a really awesome stag logo what what else do i need to know about jaegermeister well uh you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time damn that's cold there's a right and wrong way to drink it Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. 
Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, before we get to a massive commitment in the world of college sports this weekend and the rest of NBA basketball, I I do feel remiss if we didn't touch on some of the basketball played between Denver and Phoenix. But before we do that... This Mike Malone sound of his reaction to everything that went down with Nikola Jokic and Matt Ishbia, the owner of the Suns, was absolute gold. Here was the Nuggets head coach when he got asked about Jokic and what could happen as the fallout from this incident. I'm still not really sure what happened. I haven't seen a video of it. Um, I think it's crazy that Nikola got technical foul in that situation. He's going to get the ball and some, some fan is holding on to the ball like he wants to be a part of the game. Just, just give the ball up, man. You know what I mean? And, you know, they they deemed Nicola doing something that was excessive, I guess, and they gave him the tech, but uh, I still don't really understand it. You think the fans, the honor of the Suns made any difference? I don't give a <laughs> I made it, you know, it's... <laughs> the more I watch every part of this, man... Jokic with such a vet attempt at a foul on Matt Ishbia, right? Because he looks directly at him and then he looks away and then he throws the chicken wing. So doesn't fully extend, quite honestly, like we saw Jason Tatum do at the end of the Celtics game that helped force that to overtime, but just gives him a little shot. He's just also dealing with a guy that used to hoop who knew to flop. But then Mike Malone just calling him some fan, even though I'm sure by that point in the press conference, he knew good and damn well it was the Suns owner. I loved it. I absolutely, there is no doubt he was told that. I completely agree. Uh, I love that. And he sh- you know what? He shouldn't care. That's his guy. You do everything in the world to stick up for your guy. Uh, and, and that's exactly what he did. I, I love the comment. Absolutely love it. And nothing's going to happen to him for it. I, I, w- I would imagine, you know, Adam Silver has got to be going, are you kidding me? You know, it, 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 you, well, though I will say, it being the the Suns owner may have saved Jokic from being suspended because if it was a regular fan and and listen there's no doubt he elbowed him now it wasn't violent it was just like you know like trying to swat a fly away from you but there's no doubt he he chicken winged it he threw it out there and, and Ishbia certainly acted in, in like it was a flagrant but if that was a regular fan i think there would be more a chance of Jokic being suspended then I, I think this will be smoothed over by Adam Silver to where there won't be a suspension and it'll just be a fine. Completely agree. That dynamic went from, oh, you were touching the fan, the audience that we're trying to recruit to these games, to, oh, it's someone inside this who was someplace he shouldn't be. So right, I, right. I think that can absolutely be the bailout he was looking for there. Uh, quite honestly, Adam Silver's got to be throwing his hands up because this situation is masking the odor of what was otherwise an excellent basketball game. Like, we've talked about yeah. all this. Jokic had a 53-point night last night in a losing effort. I saw this. I think it was uh, Om Young Masuk who tweeted this out. Yeah, Om Young Masu. Nikola Jokic's last two games, he has averaged 41.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, 14 assists on 63% from the field, and is the first player in NBA postseason history to average a 40-point triple-double on 60% shooting over a two-game span, or in the ESPN stats and info, they have lost both games that he has played like that. Like, the Nuggets have continued to waste this in the face of Devin Booker looking and playing like the best player in the postseason so far. Oh, without a doubt. You know, it was either, you know, we, we were talking about Jimmy Butler being that guy, but what Booker did now, he and KD had 36, uh, both of them last night. But but what Booker has done the last two games, forgetting the points, but the shooting percentage has been ridiculous of what he's done. But you always wonder, and I talk, we stuck up, talk about this for years, when you get to a series, we know who the stars are, and we've mentioned them all. Who is the other person that steps up? And it could be different in each game, right? That role player that steps up. And it was Landry Shamit 
right? I mean, here's a guy who had 14 points in the series coming into this game. He hits four threes in the fourth quarter alone, alone. So that's what I always love because I guess for my career, I was kind of the also-ran guy, you know, and I always love to see which person steps up. Now, I don't think Shamit's probably going to be happy I'm calling him an also-ran, but he's not He's not the star, right? He's not one of the stars. And who is that guy that steps up? And he did. It was pretty pretty impressive out of him. Yeah, he had mentioned 19 points on 5 of 8 from 3. There was one point where he alone had made more threes than the Denver Nuggets. So that's kind of the story of how this game went is Phoenix, who had been talked about all this time as so star dependent, and you get 36 and 36 from your two stars, right? Kevin Durant in the third quarter seemed to finally get that jumper to start falling. A bit more consistency. I think he finished... uh, 11 of 18 from the field in that game or 11 of 19 from the field in that game. So starting to warm up a little bit, but Devin Booker's been the engine, but them getting bench production was the difference. They had 40 points off the bench in this game, including that 19 from Shamit. They're not supposed to be the deep team in this series. And that would be my worry going forward. It's why I still think the Denver Nuggets win this series is the Suns role players stepped up at home the way role players we see consistently step up at home throughout the postseason. This is goes back, you know, this isn't just a this year year trend or a this year thing and so now it's all right that's great but for Aaron Gordon and the guys on Denver who now all of a sudden when this flips back there is they've got home court advantage those are the players that you expect to see and step up and do a similar thing on the road where the Suns for most of this season and certainly the way we've thought of them in this playoff run have been star dependent and not really a place where I can consistently depend on that bench to do what they did last night. Yeah, and the bench you mentioned it, the bench was was awesome. And you're right, not not a not a very strong point for the Suns. And while for for Denver, just three players played off the bench and contributed what 14 points in this one, a couple of them 20 minutes each here. But it is the stars and the stars. It was Murray and Jokic who combined for 81 and then 72 for Durant and um uh and Booker. So that's what I mean. You're going to get the production from those guys. So who is going to be the other guy? Because I, I, I still lean toward Denver in this one a little bit. Uh, but again, when you get Jokic scoring that many and still losing, uh, it, it's, it's Durant that has finally come on a little bit because he was playing bad. He was not shooting well at all. It was Booker holding this team together. And Durant has come along and started to hit some shots now. Uh, and that's helping them. So I love the fact that's 2-2. We'll get to the Philly-Boston series. That's 2-2. So all of a sudden, two series that were 2-0, you know, are starting to look like, you know, competitive series again. Or, no, Philly-Boston, maybe it wasn't 2-0. I can't remember now. They played four games. I don't remember games one and two already now. That's how quick my memory goes. It is, but you're right in that Adam Silver's got to be looking at this situation like mana from heaven. This series is interesting. You've got stars laden all over some of the other series that we're going to take a look at here coming up next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation you can decide right now and if you're new to DraftKings you can also check this out new customers can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Gojo that's code Gojo for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY that's 467-369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So Adam Silver got that gift that keeps on giving, that the Nuggets and Suns series has actually been really interesting, compelling basketball, and gave us a nice, easy national headline to pluck with all the fighting. And also that we've got what we have with the Boston Celtics and 76ers, which, Dad, I feel like the surprise in that series now has been, as it sits even at two apiece, 
The Celtics continue to kind of have a little bit of fuzzy brain when it comes to clutch moments at the end of game. This one was no exception in the overtime where this game went to. Joe Missoula opts to let the Celtics go and not call a timeout, run the last play on their own with 17 seconds left, which they run a play that takes about 17 and a half seconds, so Marcus Smart shot yeah. gets off after the buzzer that he made, doesn't count, and they lose the game, so you've got coaching blunder in that moment on that side, which, again, seems to be emblematic of the Boston Celtics in this series. In pivotal moments, we've seen Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and some of these star players a little bit more deferential and a little bit more unsure of who's going to close this thing out. And then on the other side, James Harden seems to be the straw stirring the drinks right now for the 76ers. And B goes for over 30 again, but when we're looking for the finisher, James Harden's 42 points, a lot of them came in the critical moments down the stretch in the fourth quarter to even get this to overtime. He's been the 76ers' most important player for this series, and it seems like if they're going to win it that's going to have to stay the case yeah I mean his game two and three were just horrific was Harden and uh, as I said before the last segment ended I, I stand corrected about that series and how it started it was actually Philly beat Boston in Boston without Embiid in game one and then lost the next two before they even it up well there a couple things and I'm gonna tell you why I didn't have a problem with them not calling a timeout but you know I, I always love when somebody wears the hat and I call wearing the hat, wearing the hat of responsibility. When you did something wrong, just admit it and don't make an excuse for it. And Jalen Brown did. He admitted on James Harden 3, he goes, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have you know, jumped over and helped on Joel Embiid. I should have stayed you know, on Harden, and I didn't do it. He said, that's my fault. It wasn't, it wasn't smart defense by me, and I take responsibility for it. And, and, and I do always like when I hear that, you know, because uh, Harden in regulation hits the floater to tie it up and go to overtime and then as if you saw at the three, uh, with time left to put them up one. And here's why I don't have a problem, unless unless there was a substitution that you wanted to make. But as the coach said, we had the play. The play was get Tatum on Maxi, right? Get, get 6-2 on 6-10. And with the screen, that's exactly what happened. They got exactly the matchup that they wanted, and they would have drawn up anyway, the problem is they took too long. It was kind of after they crossed the half-point line, a little lackadaisical as the clock was counting down on when to set that screen and start everything in motion. So I thought they got the matchup they wanted. Tatum drives to the lane, and I know a lot of people are saying, just take the shot. Well, I mean, at that point, two guys collapsed. Maxi was on him, another one collapsed, and Embiid's coming over there. So I don't know what kind of shot he had because it just needed a two uh, for, the, for the win. And they kick it out to Smart, who actually makes it. But you see, uh, unlike the end, the end of regulation, when Smart had a clear look uh, to win it, he missed it. He makes this one, but you clearly see, you know, the red of it going, you know, it, it, the, the, the game's over the, uh, as he's catching the ball. So I really didn't have a problem with them calling a timeout because they got exactly what they wanted. They were just too slow in developing that. I guess that's my thought is... In general, I'm a know-your-team guy when it comes to these situations, right? We know and talk about the comparison. College basketball ends up being this overcooked, overcoached product. In the NBA, you got pros out there. This is their life, and you got guys that should be able to execute. But, like you said, in a situation where you only need two points and you've got X amount of time left in this, why not make sure, hey, we know exactly down to the beat what we want to get to and when as far as this action and make sure that we maximize that time if you've got it. You've got it in your hip pocket, and that's my thought is why just leave it out there when, yeah, you got what you wanted. Who's to say you couldn't get exactly what you wanted coming off the right. best after timeout play that you have humanly possible to maximize those 17-some-odd seconds? Uh, understood. I mean, and, and that's certainly – the debate that goes on right now. The other thing I don't like, and, and, and I never really have, is I think when you're getting a last shot for the possibility of a win, and when you're when you're down one, it's going to be for a win, unless you're fouled and you only make one of the free throw line, is I, I don't like when you shoot the ball right as the clock is running out because you're not guaranteed you make it. I like when you leave a couple of seconds in case you miss it that you can get the offensive rebound and get maybe a quick second chance at a putback. But we always, a lot of times we see waiting for that last shot, and sometimes it's not the best shot in the world. So that was another thing. Not only was it late and it wouldn't have mattered, plus Smart hit it, uh, but to leave time at times in case you need a putback as well. So 
again, I, I guess overall, I'll, I'll stick with what I said. I don't have a huge problem because you do have vets on that team and you got exactly the matchup you wanted. It just took them too long, obviously, to get this thing going. You know, and, and kick that out. You have to be more aware of where the clock is. And maybe, to your point, that's what the timeout does. It settles everybody. Everybody for sure sees what's on the clock instead of looking up at the clock. But at some point, your coach, you have a veteran team, you trust them and say, all right, go get the matchup we want and go win the game. Unfortunately, it was just a, a half a beat too late. Yeah, half a beat too short. And so the hero on the other side then ends up becoming James Harden, who – is finally, I think, in position to flip the script on what's always been the James Harden postseason narrative, right? He becomes now the fourth guard in NBA postseason history with 10 or more 40-plus point games. He joins Michael Jordan, Jerry West, and Kobe Bryant on that list with 42 in this game. And we mentioned, I think, when they come matters because what's been the book, Dad, as long as we've been talking about James Harden playing postseason basketball is – His style of play has led to a player whose legs leave him by the end of big series in the postseason. A player whose legs leave him by the end of games. We know in the Houston Rockets, in the annals of history, that epic three-point collapse performance against Golden State in Game 6, I believe, of that Western Conference Finals series. All of those are so baked into this. And so the fact that now James Harden is not the chief superstar on this team, right? You've got the reigning MVP and Joel Embiid there who did draw the attention on that last play of regulation so you could get the kick out to an open James Harden who you mentioned Jalen Brown had sloughed off of. But for Harden now to be the one who's got the energy late because Embiid in this series playing hurt, there's no doubt. As the game wears on, we see him lose his legs more and more. For James Harden to have a chance to be that other guy, especially if they can move on, is massive for the way that we talk about his postseason legacy after everything that he's endured. To be the guy now who has the energy late because so much of the attention early and the productivity early goes to Joel Embiid is massive for what potentially lays in front of him. Yeah, I, I and... The thing about Embiid, and, and I think that's why it's going to be more and more in Harden, Embiid even said in this one, you know, he was feeling it at the end of the game. He played, what, 46 minutes in this game or something like that, right right in that area. Uh, I, want to be, I want to be exact on that. Yeah, he, he played, played, Embiid played 46 minutes in this one. Um, James Harden played 47, too. So they were all yeah. deep into this one because of the overtime. But. But Embiid, and again, he goes for 34 and 13, but he's doing it on a, you know, a recovering sprained knee. And he said he really felt it at the end. So the important thing for me when you're coming off, you're playing with an injury, especially in the series, is how is he today? How is the knee today? And, you know, is there swelling? Do you rehab it just to get back to how it was in the beginning of this last game? Or does it have that cumulative effect to where it doesn't get all the way back and you're getting more wear and tear on it. And are we going to expect less and less out of him as this series goes on, potentially for three more games? So that's an interesting thing to me that where Harden is going to become even more important. You know, I mean, you're, you're a big man and you have a lower body injury. That means you're putting a hell of a lot of pressure on that thing every time you go up and down the court, move side to side, make a quick move doing anything. And he, as I said, he even admitted this started to feel it by the end of the game. So I'm really wondering the cumulative effect as it goes forward. Yeah, and and that's going to be massive because I think like we see, and we've talked about Devin Booker and James Harden, two of, I think, you know, especially in this round, the most prolific series that people are having. And both have admitted at different junctures. And I think I heard at the Suns talking about this last night. The spacing that Kevin Durant allows you because people cannot slack off him. He is still going to demand attention even when he's not playing at his absolute best certainly makes the world different for Booker. And now they had to make decisions on were they going to start to double Booker later, which they did. All these different things. For Harden, it's always going to be the same with Embiid. And we've talked about for years as Houston tried to cycle different bat- different Robins through that Batman and Robin situation down there. He's finally got a player with enough gravity to create more advantageous opportunities for him as he figures out how to do some of the old Harden stuff like he talked about in an environment that's decidedly new for him. So that's been pretty incredible. Great basketball in both those series, Dad. Yeah, you know, you know what I like too as well. I, I like watching little things. You know, like like when, when we both call a game or something. We like seeing things that go on away from the ball all the time or during a break or a timeout. 
I loved when PJ Tucker was was in Embiid's ear. I mean, and and I mean in his ear, basically saying, "Be more aggressive." This is, and, and even Tucker said, "No disrespect to Al Horford, who's had an incredible career, but nobody can guard you one on one, and that's the way you have to go about this thing." Because even Embiid said he didn't play that well and he started feeling his knee. But I just like that. P.J. Tucker just just jumping in his ear saying, you got to do it. You got to be the aggressive one and take it to him. Those are the moments I like to look for to see how they can fire a team up. But it still leads me to you can want to do all you want, like I'm sure Embiid wants to do. But how far can that knee carry him in crucial moments? Yep, we'll wait to see in that series Meanwhile, in the other series that we saw go on this weekend, and we know the Knicks and the Heat series uh, evened up as well, but Dad, I'm almost disappointed. The Lakers actually won this week, and they beat Golden State pretty handily in a game where most of the starters for both sides were sitting out in the fourth quarter yet again. Um, Anthony Davis continues the odd game Anthony Davis trend where he continues to be hot and cold, but the reason I'm almost bummed they won is because... LeBron James had the big news in his family of his son Bronny committing to USC that got announced over the weekend. And LeBron James, who relishes any opportunity to remind us about things that are bigger than basketball when stuff goes wrong, got to do that in a win. He said, I couldn't lose this weekend because of that great news with Bronny. That would have sung a lot better if in a loss we immediately had LeBron mentioning that he is a father and he is a husband and this is bigger than basketball. Even if it is objectively really cool that now Bronny, we're going to get to see him do the thing like his dad mentioned, that even he didn't do. He is the first of his James gang to go to college, is LeBron's words. The first of the James clan to make their way to a college campus is something that he is going to get to do all on his own, and I am fascinated to watch how this roller coaster ride goes for him as I try and scam USC tickets from somebody. I And I remember reading a bunch of articles about Bronny and how he was being raided by scouts because he's LeBron's kid. You know, and what that was doing to some of the rating. I think he was ranked the fifth best point guard in the country. I think number 19 overall uh, in this class. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the top point guard also went to USC. Um, So, you know, Bronny could be an off-ball guy. He was a heck of a shooter, really good shooter, and a hell of a defender. I mean, and and I love that part of it. He's a big-time defender. So it will be interesting how it goes for him. You know, is he a one-and-done guy? There was a projection out if he was a one-and-done guy that maybe he'd be like the the 10th pick in the draft uh, because LeBron has, has still said he'd like to play with Bronny. He said, that's my dream. He said, Bronny may not feel the same way. And he said, that's cool, whatever he wants. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I'm with you. I'm excited to see him go to college, how he's going to play there, how he's going to be used there for for a team that I think is ranked in the 20s or something like that. So uh, we'll see how that goes. but uh, And it was really kind of a quiet recruitment. We really never heard a whole lot. And even when Bronny talked about it, he never really talked about the team, the school. When he was talking about a school, he never really said the school, just that you know he had good relationships and this and that. Uh, and I think the others were, it was Ohio State and was it Oregon? I think it was, those might have been the two others. I'm not sure about Oregon, but I know Ohio State was in the mix as well. Yeah. So uh, th- this is going to be fun to watch, without a doubt. And and listen, I can say as a dad, you know, when you watch your kids live out their dream, you and Jake wanted to play at Notre Dame, and you worked your butts off and you got there. So And Sydney wanted to swim at Notre Dame, and, and she worked her butt off, and she got there to swim. So And, and I remember telling people, they were like, what do you want? Tell your kids they have to go to Notre Dame. I'm like, hell no. I said, if my kid's dream was to play football at Nebraska and they got to go to Nebraska, I'd have been just as happy because it was your dream. It's not mine. It's your guy's dream. And if that was the place you wanted to go to, so be it. It just, because I went to Notre Dame, you weren't allowed to do USC. That was not going to be allowed. Yeah. That was just, you know, well, kind of a thing. And, and uh, here with LeBron it, James, it, it, he didn't really have as much of the college conflict, so no, it doesn't matter. Right, if right. the one-and-done rule hadn't been in effect and jumping into the NBA had been it, I would have been very interested to see how LeBron reacted there because, like you said, his goal is to get LeBron James Jr. to play with him, and LeBron's looking right. old as hell in these playoffs, so I'd imagine that one-and-done timeline has become even more important in LeBron's mind as he gets set to become his next phase and next chapter of LeBron's career from all-world basketball player to businessman to now helicopter parent as his son has decided to stay home in the same (laughs) town where LeBron plays basketball. 
You know, I, I it, it and it's such degrees, right? Because people would always ask me, well, when you watch your kids play ball in high school, did you, you were you on the field? Were you yelling? Were you getting involved? And I'm like, no. I said I sat back and and just watch. If the coach asked me to do something at practice or in the summertime, I would. Imagine LeBron James. I mean, showing up at a practice, and we'd see him at the games as well. Now, the, the kid's playing high-level AAU teams at games as well. But LeBron's there, I mean, uh, that's got to be intimidating, right? I mean, if he's showing up at a USC practice or a game, I mean, uh, wow. I, I, and and I, I don't know LeBron at these games. I don't know. My, we see him walking on the court and talking to Bronny during some of these games, but... You know, where's the line now if it's in college where you just kind of let it go? I don't know. But that's an imposing sight to when you're at practice working on drills and then maybe LeBron comes in to watch and you're like, oh, God, okay, now what? <laughs> I mean, I, I saw – so I had to look up. Andy Enfield is the head coach for USC men's basketball. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be fascinated how that dynamic works out. <laughs> We've seen LeBron James get plenty of coaches up and out their seat in the NBA – who knows what kind of power he's going to have here? Because my third, first thought process was, man, SC's about to have the best bronze when it comes to all the shoes. Whatever their Nike deal is, I'm sure gets even sweeter now that Bronny's on campus. But there's also the lifestyle factor of it because while LeBron has said, it's great, Bronny's the first member of our family to actually go to college, he also said he's there to play basketball. And we recognize that in the world a world where this goes right for them, he's only there as a one-year loner to this college. Exactly. So is he actually going to get to live a college lifestyle? Is he going to be staying at home? I'd imagine these are online classes. Even at SC, where he's going to be the most famous pay, uh, person not to have to pay exorbitant amount of money filtered through that university that will eventually get you into legal trouble, but instead will be paid through NIL and all that good stuff to play for the university. I don't know what kind of normal life you could even think about having on campus if you're LeBron's kid. And the same way where when Sydney, my sister, your daughter, got to college my fifth year, I was watching like a hawk at every bar that she was out monitoring the situation. Yeah. I wonder if LeBron James is now going to take all of those old players he used to put at the end of the bench and just have them go and patrolling USC's campus to make sure Bronny's living right. Have eyes everywhere, baby. Eyes everywhere. Because, listen, you were my first to go to college, and, and what do you do two months into it? I get a call three in the morning, and you you get a, you, you get arrested. I'm like, are you kidding me? The first one that goes to college, and, and I had no one to keep an eye on you, I guess. So thanks for keeping an eye you know, on Jake and Sydney, who, who, who luckily didn't get arrested during their time at Notre Dame. But, but that's a great point, and people just it's – a, it's a little point, but because we always say student-athlete. If you're a one-and-done player in college basketball, you basically only need to do enough academically in the first semester – I don't know if you're on semesters or quarters or whatever – to stay eligible to play. Because once you get past that, and you're gonna, if you're going to go in the draft, the, the spring doesn't matter. You're, you're basically done. If you're going into the draft, you're not doing any more academics. So you really only have to do it when you get there in August or September and do well enough to stay eligible through that basketball season, and then you're done a- academically. So, you know, if there's anybody that says, oh, listen, LeBron's just saying he's there to play basketball, he doesn't care about academics, you're right. Because uh, Bronny is going to get about a half a semester of academics, and that's it. And he's, he's forced to do that just to stay eligible. That's just the way it's going to work if he, in fact, is going to be a one-and-done guy. Yeah, which is the balance because you brought up how quiet his recruitment been. We've seen for the sons of star former players, Bronny and Arch Manning, really tight-lipped throughout the process. Arch yep. has to stay for three years because that's the rule in college football. But for this and LeBron James's son – little bit different math. We'll wait and see and get to ride this wave. Like I said, if anyone out there has got a plug on USC tickets for men's home games, hit me up. <laughs> I am not above sneaking my way into there like everyone thought Meghan Markle did to the coronation and trying to catch some of this action. All right, it is Monday. We had a jam-packed weekend full of stuff that wasn't NBA basketball that we could still get to. So let's hand out some roses here, bachelor, bachelorette style, to the deserving candidate of the weekend that we want to show some love to. Um, I'll kick things off here since we are now getting to one of my favorite times of year, which is the college lacrosse 
uh, championship <laughs> field getting set here. We had Selection Sunday in the men's and women's tournaments yesterday, and one of the big bits of news, we'll talk about that plenty leading up to the first round this weekend, but one of the big bits of news was Denver coach Bill Tierney, one of the all-time greats, missing the field in what was announced before the year was going to be his final season. And so one of the all-time figures in the sports now officially calling it a career, 42 seasons at the helm, the last 15 of which were at Denver, and a record-setting seven national championships during his time between Princeton and Denver. And, Dad, that Denver championship, you know, Notre Dame was always supposed to be the first team west of the Mississippi to win a championship in lacrosse, and Coach Tierney goes out there and manages to do that, become the person and the flag bearer for lacrosse making its way out west, an all-time guy, an all-time coach, and an incredible Hall of Fame career that he now gets to ride off into the sunset on. So very cool for him. Yeah, I mean, what – yeah, just a, an incredible career. But you're right. I always had a little bit of you know dislike for that program because <laughs> Notre Dame was supposed to be the first one west of Mississippi. And your former teammate in middle school lacrosse played for them uh, as Alex, well. That was, Alex Demopoulos, who I think is like second on the all-time Denver assist list too. Yeah, played for, uh, well, for Coach yeah. Tierney out with the Pios. Unreal. Yeah, yeah. So congrats on it. it. Really, it was an incredible career, even though I was hoping Notre Dame would be the first Western of Mississippi. But all good with that. What what a career. Right off into the sunset and enjoy it. All right, Dad, who's your Rose going to? I'm going to go with, he just, he won his first PGA event, Wyndham Clark. Um, it's his first win. He won the Wells Fargo this past weekend at like 19 under. He's 29 years old, and he's a guy who's had a lot of frustration in his career. As he said, he's broken a lot of clubs uh, over his time and frustration to trying to get that first win. And and he dedicated this one to his mom. His mom died. He's 29. His mom died of breast cancer when he was 19, but credits her with getting him into golf and keeping him going into golf. So he got a little emotional finally getting that win 10 years after his, his mother passed. But think about the pressure. He goes into the, the Sunday, the last day, two shots ahead of Xander Shoffley. And his first t- drive off the tee, he pulls on us, Mike. He, I, he, he knocks it on the other side of the cart path, something we would do on just about every hole. He does it on the first hole on a Sunday when he has a two-shot lead. That's how we started. He ended up losing the lead on the seventh hole, but then fought back and won it. So with all that went on with his mom years ago and the and the persistent and perseverance, I'll give my rose to Wyndham Clark, the winner of the Wells Fargo. Incredible, uh, great story, and yes, deeply relatable, at least in that way, uh, to all of us. <laughs> yeah. Brandon, who's your rose of the week going to? I think I got to send it to John Howell, the uh, international student that – survival of the Michigan State shooting who was in present at the Philadelphia 76ers game he is the reason James Harden said that he was uh, fueled to go for those 42 points you know nine rebounds all the assists and then obviously the game uh, winning three-point in overtime but he calls him his lucky charm and says he needs to be there for game six for him as well so I thought it was a cool story he actually obviously got close to him facetiming back and forth and they finally got a chance to him and his father to be there and he got Harden's uh shoes uh signed at the end of the game which i just i just love to see it was i don't really love james harden but all the stuff i see from with him outside of the court outside of him running around with little baby in his strip clubs is pretty cool yeah no this is a a, a great moment and a continuation of what yeah. was an incredible story and response by james harden to an unbelievable tragedy i shouldn't say unbelievable because we see it happen damn near every day at this point yeah, in this country yeah. but you're not kidding. um yep. nonetheless his response there uh one of the few good things to come out of such hell um all right roses handed out let's finish this thing off the way we always do and get to this that and the third three quick ones on the way out make sure you download subscribe rate and review brandon still into contract negotiations over the song that leads us in here but dad no <laughs> negotiations left for chris Kleiman and kansas state he inks a deal that's now going to be worth 44 million dollars over the next eight years an average of five and a half million till 2030 he won the big 12 championship this last year even as tcu went to the college football playoff dude's been dynamite ever since he came over from north Dakota State and followed up one of the all-time greats we talked about Bill Tierney in college lacrosse but Bill Snyder and what he had meant for so long at Kansas State difficult and he's done it I mean not a monster record in his what his four seasons uh at at Kansas State he was 30 and 20 
But he had a big year last year, as you mentioned, beating TCU for the Big 12 title. They lost to Bama in the bowl game. And he came from North Dakota State, where I think in five years he won four uh, FCS national titles. So, you know, he had that coming into the, 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 the major program of Kansas State. So congrats to him grabbing the bag, averaging about five and a half mil a year. Yeah, and we know this is the way of college football. If you have one good time season and everyone gets worried you might leave, yes. they're going to give you a 10-year deal that will never actually see the yep. life of it so that all the never. recruits feel warm and fuzzy <laughs> inside. Um, Dad, That's speaking true. of recruiting, let's get to that. Uh, Jim Ursay came out with a response. After over the weekend, ESPN reported that Washington, the commanders, made attempts in 2020 to learn whether Andrew Luck had any interest in returning to the NFL. Now, apparently, I don't know what part of Seth Wickersham's piece that they read indicated that that was a player that sounded like he wanted to come back and play football after that hiatus, but leave it to Jim Ursay to take it to Twitter, who tweeted out, if any NFL team attempted to contact Andrew Luck or any associate of him to play for their franchise, it would be a clear violation of the league's tampering policy. He remains my favorite owner on Twitter because he is just recklessly tweeting in a way that I'm sure the PR department for the Colts despises but, Dad, what the hell was Washington thinking? Andrew Luck is the most retired player that I could possibly think of. I remember you and I talking after the, the Seth Wickersham you know, story about him, and we were almost left with more questions about Andrew Luck and how that thing ended. You know, and where Andrew was. I, I, it was a surprising article, but there was nothing in it where I thought, oh, yeah, he's thinking about coming back. So I, I have no idea what Washington was thinking. You know, they're going with Sam Howell at this point. But, hey, you know, I guess if you want to check in, even though it is tampering, um, go ahead and give it a shot. But there was no thought ever that he was coming back in my eyes. I mean, so in the 2022 season, it would have still been the Dan Snyder-led Washington Commanders. And so tampering on the long list of impropriety that he's been a part yeah. of, pretty far down on that list. So easy one Misdemeanor. to scoff at. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a minor offense in the Dan Snyderverse that we've seen. And just another indication of how lost they are in the quarterback process there. If you're a Washington fan, you can still convince yourself brighter days are ahead because you finally got the witch out of the building. But to see that after coming off the Carson Wentz experiment as more of your quarterback plan... Not necessarily cute. Uh, Dad, let's get to the third, though. We had the Miami Grand Prix go on this weekend. Your partner on Golik and Smetty FOMOing her ass off in Jessica Smetana as Max Verstappen goes from ninth at the start to first at the podium at the end, winning the Miami Grand Prix. Dad, I feel like Formula One has finally arrived in the U.S., because now we've got the UConn women's basketball problem for them, where Max Verstappen has been so dominant, we get to ask the question, is this good for the sport? Well, I mean, listen, we just went through that with Hamilton, right? Hamilton, how many championships did he win? I mean, Verstappen's not there yet, so we had it. We certainly, and we went through this with like a Tiger Woods. Do you want a dominant golfer or someone you're just going, wow, every time you watch them, or would you like a more competitive field? Well, Lewis Hamilton was that wow guy for a number of years, and now that's where Verstappen is. He passes Sergio Perez, his teammate, who had the pole and was leading for a bit, but Verstappen eventually passes him from the ninth slot and, uh, and wins this thing. So, yeah. We've already had it in this, and, and certainly it wasn't just Lewis Hamilton as a guy he, uh, that, that was the only one. It happened before him as well. Verstappen is just the latest. So that's what it comes down to. It comes down to do you like that in a sport where you have one dominant person? And sometimes in F1, depending on the tracks, it can get hard to pass. But boy, Verstappen seems to find a way to do it. If you like this, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Thanks. Talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.